Amen. If you would join me in Luke 19. Luke 19 will be our passage of scripture this morning, and you can find that uh, in your pew Bible on page 736. Today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is not just the Sunday before Easter. We don't call it that just because of its proximity to another day, right? It's not Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, the significance of Christmas Eve is it's the day before Christmas. Palm Sunday has significance because we recognize it as the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. And as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, it's this moment that's full of meaning. And a generation ago, um, like when the astronauts returned from space or when heroes returned from war, they would hold a ticker tape parade. And all of this tape and uh, paper would be thrown down from the skyscrapers of the city while they made their way through the city. And today we have parades when a team wins the Super Bowl and they return to their city or they win the World Series. In Jesus' day, a way that they showed honor was as his person was entering, they would make way and they would clean the road by taking palm branches from nearby trees and laying them out so that that person had this beautiful path to walk on. And as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem for the final week of his life, he rides in on a donkey fulfilling the passage of scripture that Pastor Dustin read to us earlier from Zechariah chapter 9. And the people are laying these palm branches out. They're laying them down as Jesus enters. And they're saying, Hosanna, which is a song that we sang earlier, uh, which is a, a way of expressing thanks, of saying God is good. Um, and in some churches, in some gatherings, it's customary for people to, to shout out or to say praise God when there's like a sermon point that is meaningful to them or a part of the song that's meaningful to them here in our Midwestern uh, white church that doesn't happen as often. Uh, we're a little bit more quiet, right? Like some of you are nervous to even laugh right now. Um, but for them, they would cry out Hosanna when something good had happened, when there was something to be encouraged about, something to give God praise over. And our text today that we're going to read comes at the end of Jesus making this procession into Jerusalem, people laying down the palm branches, singing out Hosanna. They're making such a noise that the leaders, the Pharisees, the chief priests, they tell Jesus that he should have his disciples, his followers, to be quiet. And Jesus says if they're quiet, the rocks themselves will cry out, which is a way of saying like it is so fitting in this moment for there to be praise that if someone doesn't say something, the rocks are going to fill the void instead. And so all of that's happening. It's this really powerful, joyful, exciting moment. But then Jesus either rounds a bend or he crests the hill and he's able to see Jerusalem. And we see that in the middle of all of this excitement and joy, Jesus has a lament or a reason for, for weeping. And that's what we're going to read in Luke 19, verses 41 to 45. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, 
the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. In 2012, uh, a nurse worked in palliative care or hospice care. So she'd cared for many people who were on their deathbed. She released a book. And the book was based on her experience of working with people who were at death's door. And she named her book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Now her book wasn't some broad study. It was her anecdotes and her experiences of working with people on their deathbeds over many years. She says that the top five regrets of people on their deathbed are, I wish I'd had the courage to live the life I wanted instead of the the one that others expected me to live. I wish that I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I had expressed my feelings more. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And I wish I'd been happier It's pretty common for people when they come to their last days to have some regrets that they weep over. When Jesus came to his final days, he didn't regret that he'd worked too hard. He didn't regret that he hadn't been who he was really meant to be. He didn't regret that he hadn't stayed in touch with his friends. He didn't have those regrets that common, ordinary, are are usual. His regrets was for others. His weeping was for those who had missed it. He regretted that the people had missed him, had refused him. Verse 41 tells us that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. When Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, it's in the middle of this powerful moment where everyone is so excited and everyone feels like everything is headed in the right direction, that the best days are ahead, that Jesus has come and he's going to put everything right that was wrong, that he is going to set up a new kingdom. Everyone else is exciting. They're in the middle of a parade. But because Jesus can see what no one else can see, he is weeping. Jesus knows what is coming He knows what will happen in a few days, and he knows what's coming in a few decades. I want you to recognize that Jesus always saw what was really going on and what really happened. Now, there were times that the disciples actually accused Jesus of not caring. There was one occasion where they're in a boat and a storm comes up, and they say to Jesus, because he's napping, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying Don't you care that our boat is sinking? Jesus arrives at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus just a couple days after Lazarus has died, but they had sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, 
many days before and Jesus hadn't responded quickly. And Mary and Martha will both say to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And there were times that people would, would say Jesus didn't care or he was unaware. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus always knew. And he knew more than those around him knew. He saw more than those around him could see. And friend, I want you to know that Jesus knows your situation right now. That he knows your situation better than you do. That he can see the things in your life that you are blind to. That he can see the things that are coming around the corner that you're unaware of. That he knows your brokenness more than you recognize it. And I want you to know that when you struggle or when there's heartache, that he weeps. Jesus knows the hurt that you feel and that you felt and that you will feel. And it makes him weep. You know, supposedly in response to the plight of the French people, because they didn't have money to buy bread, Marie Antoinette said, let them eat cake. Perhaps you've heard that before. Now, it's thought that maybe she never really said this because there's no record of her saying it, and there's no record of any of the flyers or the, the writings of the revolutionaries who would eventually kill her and overthrow the French regime, that they never used that phrase in any of their writings either. Seems like it was added later on, apocryphally. But the reason it, 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 it captured people's imagination, the reason that people repeated it so often, is because it really communicated, here's a, a, a princess, a queen, someone in this place of power who can't even understand, we don't have money to buy bread, how could we have money to buy cake? Right? And it probably wouldn't take a whole lot of convincing this morning for me to convince you that the people in leadership and in power don't know what's going on in your life. That they have no idea what it's like to be you. That they are uncaring. That they're unknowing. This was not the case for Jesus. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem in this moment, fulfilling the prophetic words that show that he is the king of kings. This morning, we, we sang, all hail the power of Jesus' name. We sang this hymn that I grew up singing on Palm Sunday. And it used some words that maybe you don't use in everyday language. You probably didn't say prostrate fall uh, this week. But what that means is that the angels, upon seeing Jesus, would lay down. Not only bow down, but just lay out because he is King Jesus. Bring forth the royal diadem. Bring forth the crown. Bring forth the, the signifying pieces of his royalty. This is King Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And he is not oblivious to what is happening. In fact, he knows what's happening in Jerusalem and what will happen in Jerusalem better than anyone in Jerusalem does. He sees. And seeing the city like no one else could... Jesus hurts for them, and he weeps for them, because Jesus knew that Jerusalem would be leveled. That's what he tells them in verses 42 to 44. He tells them what is going to come. He knows that there will be 
embankments built against them, that they will be surrounded. He knows that they will be laid low, that not one stone will be left upon another. That all of the people in Jerusalem would be murdered, and yet another genocide against the Jewish people. This time at the hand of the Romans in AD 70, led by a general named Titus. Titus would build a fortification around Jerusalem. And he would siege it, which basically meant to starve it out. Nobody could go in or come out. And so once all of the resources in Jerusalem had been eaten through, the people would begin to starve. And they would siege a city like this so that the people would starve to death, turn on one another, and be at their absolute weakest when they came in. They would build bulwarks and fortifications around Jerusalem. They would use the olive trees on the Mount of Olives, turning it into a barren wasteland. So when Titus and his army left, not only was the mountainside completely bare of all of the olive trees that made Jerusalem so beautiful, all of the town had been broken down. They had launched burning wood and rocks at the walls to knock them down. They had burned the entire city. The Romans would be the instrument of death, but they wouldn't be the reason. The reason is what Jesus tells us here. He says, because, because you did not know the day of your visitation. It's Jerusalem that Jesus is riding into, and people are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the King of kings, Lord of lords. But it's also Jerusalem where people will cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate will have a basin of water brought out so that he can ceremonially wash his hands and say, I have nothing to do with this. His blood is not on my hands. And the people will cry out, let his blood be upon us and on our children. And it would be. Jesus would say in this passage, they didn't know the day of their visitation. What does that mean? What is the day of their visitation? You see, for hundreds of years, prophets foretold of Jesus' arrival. They foretold of the arrival of a Messiah. They spoke of God coming to be among His people, that His presence would dwell among them, that God would be with them. And at the very beginning of Luke's gospel, he gives us a song that is sung by Zechariah. It's in Luke chapter 1, it's in verses 76 to 78, this part that I'm going to refer to. But Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, is singing this song, so grateful that he's been blessed with a son. John the Baptist is going to be the forerunner of Jesus. And this is what he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Zechariah is saying, John, you are blessed because you will be the one who announces the sunrise. John's role would be like that of a rooster that crows in the morning to let us know the sun is coming. The sun is rising. 
And all throughout the Old Testament, they referred to this coming day of the Lord, this day of the arrival of Jesus, this day that he will visit his people, that he will be among them. And Jesus' arrival is the sunrise on that beautiful day. But when Jesus arrived, they didn't know him. And they didn't receive him. And they would reject him. John would tell us that he came into his own and his own received him not. Because of this, some of the prophets not only foretold of the day of the Lord and the day of the visitation, they foretold that the day of the visitation wouldn't be a good day for many. Amos said it this way. In Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. He goes on to say that, that you are like one who fled from a lion. You escaped from the lion, but only to run into the clutches of a bear. Or like one who escaped from the lion and when he went into the house... He laid his hand upon a poisonous snake. Verse 20, Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Amos is saying, listen, you're, you're saying that you want the Lord to come. You're saying that you want the day of the Lord to appear. You're saying that you want the Messiah. You're hoping in it. But it would actually be a bad thing for you for the Messiah to become because you are so far from God. You have turned from him. And for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem that day, into a Jerusalem that would ultimately not receive him but reject him, was their doom. When I was a child, my father worked second shift for most of my childhood. That means that he would, look, he would leave for work at the airport about an hour before I got home from school. And he would arrive home a couple of hours after I had gone to bed. So in the summer, my mother would allow us to stay up late and sleep late so that we could somewhat be on the same schedule as my dad so that we could see him at night and he could help put us to bed. And so we would be excited to stay up late and watch the shows that came on after the news and see my dad when he came home. Unless, unless that day had been a day that we had misbehaved. And my mother had uttered those horrible words. Just you wait till your father gets home. And suddenly my dad's arrival was not as exciting. It was terrifying. Let me be clear. Jerusalem was not in trouble because they'd misbehaved. Jerusalem was not in trouble because they had failed to meet God's standard. In fact, everyone fails to meet God's standard. 
and there were people that the day of the visitation and the day of the Lord was wonderful news. In fact, those that are most excited and walking with Jesus, those that will continue to be his followers even after his arrest and trial and crucifixion, burial and resurrection, those who are his closest allies, those who the day of the Lord is light and brightness, they were former thieves and prostitutes. Some of his greatest evangelists would be those who were formerly demon-possessed. The issue wasn't an issue of behavior. The problem wasn't Jerusalem's bad behavior. The problem was Jerusalem's rejection of Jesus. How did this happen? How did they not only miss him, but reject him? Look at the next paragraph in this chapter. Look with me at verses 45 to 48. Luke goes from this moment of Jesus' weeping of Jerusalem, not seeing what is happening, to talking about Jesus' arrival at the temple. Verse 45, Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and scribes and leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. Jesus goes into the temple and he finds that it's been turned into a shopping mall. He sees that the people are using the Passover not as an opportunity to seek the Lord, but rather they're making a quick buck. And Jesus' sorrow turns to frustration and exasperation as he throws these merchants out of the temple and the temple courtyards. And then Jesus begins to teach in the temple. Verse 47 says that as he's teaching in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. And I find that the wording in the NIV of this verse is just so ironic because it says every day he was teaching at the temple, but the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. It's so ironic to me that the people who, it is their role, it is their mission, it is their calling to teach the people, they're trying to kill the man who is teaching the people. How could they be this blind? How could they be this bias? Because their mission was not to teach the truth. Their mission was to, to accomplish their agenda. Their mission wasn't to teach the people. Their mission was their own cause. Jerusalem was hidden. Was, Jerusalem was blinded to Jesus. He was hidden from them because of their agenda. It all breaks my heart. People all around us are missing Jesus. They're blind to him because of their agenda. The priorities on their list. Maybe our, our town, our culture hasn't turned our church into a shopping mall, but they've turned their lives into a constant pursuit of more. More this, more that, more stuff. More attention, more experiences, more achievements. 
Perhaps you didn't walk in this morning and get accosted like you do in Eastland Mall by someone trying to give you a free sample of something so that they can sell you something. But God, help us if our gatherings here are not about seeking Jesus and are about some other ulterior motive. About being seen. About checking a box. Do you know what Jerusalem means? It means city of peace. That's what Jerusalem means. But it would be a city of destruction and a city of heartache. The temple was meant to be a house of prayer, but it was turned into a marketplace. And friend, I want you to see that what this world does is it takes things that are meant for good and turns them into evil. It takes cities of peace and ruins them. It takes sacred spaces and secularizes them. And that's what it wants to do to our lives as well. Your life was built for a life of peace with Christ. Your life was designed and meant to walk with Jesus in his grace and his peace and his love, but it has become a rat race filled with frustration and busyness and bitterness. So much so that if I go a little long this morning, I'm going to ruin everybody's day because you got all this stuff you really need to do today. Because it's your last day to do it before Monday. Oh, Monday. Why did they miss Jesus? Because they were blinded by everything else. Friend, I believe that there are evils in this world that blind us to Jesus and then I think that there are harmless things in this world that would be harmless if they didn't simply fill our vision and our minds so much so that we can't see Jesus you ever been looking for something I find myself looking for stuff all the time you know what I say to myself when I can't find what I'm looking for why do I have all this junk, right? Suddenly the things that I have purchased, that I have carried into my home, right? Things that I felt important enough to buy, suddenly it's junk. Why? Because it's in the way of the thing that I need. My friend, if your life is full of stuff, all that stuff is junk if it blocks our vision of what is most important. They missed Jesus because they were blinded by their own agendas, their own ceremonies, their own priorities, their own politics. But did you notice how verse 48 ends? They want to kill Jesus, but they can't. Because the people listen to him attentively. Again, the NIV, it 
it says they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Listen, I, I know I might go a little long and I'm not as interesting as the many options that you have available to you for entertainment and for experiences. But I hope you're here this morning because you're hanging on for the words of Jesus. I hope you're here this morning because you're hanging on, you're reaching out for the words of Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus and they couldn't because everybody was just hanging on to every word that he said. You see, when Jesus breaks through all of that clutter, all of that noise, all of that agenda, when he breaks through, he has words of life. Words that change lives. This morning, I was, uh, I was unlocking the front doors to the church, and that I, I noticed that as the sun was rising, it was falling across the roof, and I took a picture of it. I, I want to show it to you. And, and what I noticed is that right here, where the line of the shadow is, that the frost was still there. But every place the sun had touched, the frost was starting to melt. I don't want you to miss the sunrise. The arrival of King Jesus. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be in the shadow, in the dark places, in a place where his light is obscured, in a place where the, the dawn of the day, the day of the Lord, the day of his visitation is not a reason for brightness and light, but a reason for darkness and judgment. This is Easter week. And I hope that you don't miss what this is all about. I hope that you don't miss Jesus. Nothing would break my heart more than that. My prayer for you is that the peace of God would fill your heart as the Son of God shines in your life and melts away the cold, the damp, the brokenness. Jerusalem was to be the city of peace, and Jesus brought the peace of God, but they miss it. Faith Church, let's not miss it. May we focus on Him this week as we think on what He has done for us. Faith Church, may our hearts break. May we join him in weeping that all around us there are people built for peace and hope and grace who do not know it. May we see when we look upon this city, may we see when we look upon our neighborhoods what Jesus could see. The real hope, the real potential what those people are meant for. May our hearts break at any who miss the day of visitation. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.
Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. That we would hang on your every word. Lord, may your sun shine in our lives and melt away the cold. May there be a spring season in us, in our church body. Lord, as we are warmed by the arrival of King Jesus, who has come to give us hope and give us peace. And may we weep over those who do not yet know you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I ask you to stand as we're going to sing. God's working in your heart. You need to come to the altar. This altar is open. We'd be happy to pray with you. If you feel a need to pray there at your seat, feel free.